I'm Anya, and I spent decades compartmentalizing and suppressing the different parts of myself. I woke up at age 40 exhausted, confused, and completely out of alignment. These days, I am definitely not your run-of-the-mill bored housewife. So if you are tired of the shame narrative around sex and pleasure, and you're ready to be all facets of yourself, let's create sexual alchemy. This is a Soul Fire production. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another week here on Sexual Alchemy. As always, it is so good to be here in this space and sharing stories with all of you. And this week is no different. To continue our focus this month on sexual health and sexual wellness and the way that impacts us in our relationships, our lives, our overall wellness. I have two individuals on the show today with me that really are doing some incredible work with individuals and with couples around some of these topics. I first learned about Rainier Wilde and Christy Bourne through a woman who was leading women's circles here in the Denver area. And I had noticed that she was collaborating with him and doing some work together on some offerings. And what I really was struck by in the work that Rainier was doing were a couple of things. He was focusing on men and working with men as they were exploring their shadows and their authentic selves and really working to help men kind of transform into the people that they really wanted to be embracing, you know, this kind of more divine masculine aspect of themselves and ridding themselves of any of the programming or difficulties that men in our society are kind of raised with in their childhood. And the other thing I was noticing was the way that Rainier spoke and the way that he was thoughtful in the words that he used to describe the people he was working with and the, and the work that he was doing in general. And then fast forward this to a couple of years later, here we are, I'm doing sexual alchemy and I learn that Rainier and his wife, Christy Lee Bourne are starting a new podcast in the same production company family that I'm in, Soulfire, and it's called Love Like Hell. And Love Like Hell is an amazing show. And I'm so glad that I learned about it through Soulfire. And had I not, I think I would have found it anyway, because it is just, it's so well done. And the way that these two speak about their relationship and about the things that they have been through and navigated together in such a thoughtful way just drew me in from the beginning. And they'll tell us a little bit more about it you know, here in the show and what they're navigating. But really, it's a show that that is about investigating the landscape of modern relationships. And they explore their own issues as they reveal how connections are often born and solidify and sometimes unravel. Both Rainier and Christy are trained as clinical psychotherapists. And they really take this opportunity with their show to take an intimate and probing look at the mysteries of committed connections, monogamy, infidelity, eroticism, forgiveness, attachment and trust. And their story just offers a vision of real people taking extraordinary risks and caring courageously and loving like hell. 
And I feel so honored to bring them on the show today so that they can also step into this conversation that we've been having on Sexual Alchemy this month around sexual and mental health and wellness, because the work that they now together are doing with couples and helping them explore the ins and outs of their relationships and their implicit and explicit agreements and their families of origin and all the different things that we all need to do to unpack in ourselves so that we can have fulfilling and genuine and authentic connection with our partner or partners in this, you know, game of life. It's just so beautiful. So I hope you enjoy it too. It's a conversation that I was so excited to have and it did not disappoint. And I hope you enjoy. Well, I'm glad we hit record because I think we were missing out on some really juicy stuff. (laughs) And I am just so thrilled to have both of you here today. I just thank you. Thank you for coming on Sexual Alchemy. I'm really thrilled to be talking to you guys. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us. We're excited to talk about nitty gritty stuff. I'm excited to be here. All the things. We basically don't talk about this unless it's going to be on air somewhere. So this this actually, we're very repressed in general. And so uh, this really helps us air our dirty laundry. I, I'm not really sure I'm believing that, Rainier. <laughs> so excited I mean, to be here. Even just the way that we found each other. So I'm pretty sure I was kind of insta-stalking you, Rainier, because I had known of you through some joint ventures you had done with a a woman that I have sat in circle with in Denver before. Um, And so I had seen your name pop up in, in her space and in her community prior. And so I had started following you. And then you guys joined the Soulfire family with your amazing new show, Love Like Hell. And I have been smitten with the the combination between the two of you. And I'm every week, like I'm eating up your episodes. And I just knew as soon as I heard the interplay and what you guys are talking about, I knew I would want you on the show. And so I just started reaching out. <laughs> I'm so glad you did. You know, um, the, the best kept secret of my life, and it shouldn't be a secret, is Christy. And the, <laughs> the, the podcast, Love Like Hell, is yeah. just giving her that chance to be out there so that everyone knows what I've known all along, that she is easily the better of this, of this partnership. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm excited that everybody is finding out about that. It's oh pretty my gosh. Awesome. Too kind. Too no, kind. <laughs> not too kind because I, I'm not going to say I agree, but I feel like you are so equal footed on that show. And I just, Christy, I have just really been drawn to the way that you talk about the story. You know, for those that don't know, maybe I should shut up for a second and let you, Christy, or you, Rainier, tell a little bit, tell us about your show and, and give my readers a glimpse into it so that they can become your newest fans too. Yeah. Well, the idea hatched, right? Because we love storytelling. That is something that we are always uh, drawn to. Uh, I think that's part of the work we do with people is that we hear their stories and we also like to tell a story. We love true stories and we've had a hell of a story, a love story. And so it really is about uncovering our ideas, like the mysteries of love, which is such a giant uh, like feat to try to accomplish. But the idea is, is everyone's looking for love. Everyone's motivated by love to be held, to have belonging, and we don't always get it right. Mm. Most of the times we don't actually. 
Yeah. And, and so it's our walk and our experience of trying to figure out what love is, how we come back from um, hurt and pain, infidelity, infidelity in all kinds of ways. We really try to explain that to people that um, it doesn't have to look like ours, mm. but um, like how to find love and how to recover love. Mm. Um, and that's really, I think, the premise of where we started the conversation. Yeah, we use our story as a true illustration, right? It's like a true myth mm -hmm. to help us talk about some of those things that we we get to interact with couples around all the time or individuals, you know, we're talking about intimacy, we're talking about availability to self and to others. And so what better way to do it than to use our incredibly chaotic, messy um and an absolutely beautiful story of two people who missed each other for the longest of times and then found each other again. Um, mm. Yeah, it's exciting. I love it. And your story is, is really captivating in the style in which you tell it as well. You know, I assume this is intentional because of the way that episode one unfolds and everything, but it's very true crime kind of oriented and like the the interplay that you use with audio and the storytelling and everything it's just it's just incredibly captivating so for those of you out there who haven't listened yet you have to um, because it's definitely at the top of my list right now of shows that I I just like really am, am kind of absorbed into what we're gonna learn and and what I love is that you are you're not just talking about a storyline you are going back and capturing why the episodes in your life unfurled the way that they did and talking about family of origin, you're talking about intergenerational work that has been done in your lives. You're talking about all these different elements of upbringing and suppression and, and all of that stuff as you are sharing, you know, kind of the journey that you've been on together, which I think... For those of us that are contemplating and working through complicated relationship containers and structures that are non-conventional, like myself, and I know a lot of my listeners are, are kind of finding themselves in that camp, we don't often go back and really understand ourselves very well before we jump into these things that seem really exciting and seem really fun. And then along the way, we learned that there are landmines that we're stepping on that are blowing up in our faces, but we don't know why. And so I think what's so important about the way that you're telling your story and the work that you two are doing, which I'd like to talk about as well, what's so important is you're helping people understand themselves and their origin story and what are the pieces that are impacting them. And I just, I love the way that you unpack that for people in, in terms of your own story. And it gives us an opportunity to look at our own lives and be like, oh, is that, is that why I do that thing? You know, and I just, I love the way that you, you wrap that in. It's a very important part, I think. I think that waking up is part of what we're trying to do. Like waking up to ourselves, waking up into the kind of relationship we have. And I think sometimes, um, infidelity and in our situation and our relationship woke us up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like we have this wonderful programming that starts when we're really quite young about how and who we should be in the world and what to yes. expect out of relationships and sexuality and marriage and partnership. And it starts so early 
this is the way a woman should be in relationship to a man. This is the role that she should have. Of course, I'm speaking only about women here because that's who I am. (laughs) But uh, right, like you have this programming that says, what is femininity? How do I present in the world? And really that depends on who you grew up with. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up with three older brothers. So uh, femininity didn't really look like maybe if I grew up with sisters. And so trying to figure that out in my own sexual body and my own intellectual body, um, and then all kinds of other program. We have political programming and religious programming. Religious, yeah. Yeah. And so so we get to this point and something breaks in relationship and we say, do I even want what we had and what we created? How did we get here? Mm-hmm. So I love that part of like, wake up. What do you think you want now? Right. You know, I think rightly understood and, and so much of what we talk about on Love Like Hell is through the lens of infidelity. And so if you understand infidelity rightly, it really is one of those cracks in the ice that allows you to go deep, to see what's underneath. Because most of us have been so covered up, so piled on top on with layers and layers and layers, as Christy was talking about, a programming that we're just asleep. Right. And and we know we're asleep because of the quality of being shocked when things happen in our world. Right. When we see a politician who didn't tell the truth and we're we're absolutely appalled. We're like, oh, my God, how could they have done that? What do you mean? How could they have done that? Uh, weren't you expecting that the whole time? Or when we see someone maybe we trusted or someone we loved or when there's some kind of tragedy that happens and and we're shocked. Well, that really is a signal that we've been asleep. And so when something like infidelity occurs or, or a breach of trust in relationship and we go, oh my God, (laughs) that is the opportunity to drop the lines down under the ice and to begin to fish around for what's swimming under the waters. You guys, I feel like I'm being both seen and attacked right now in some (laughs) ways because a couple of things that are coming up in my mind and are alive for me in this conversation are thinking back to my first marriage that, that ended. And if you would have asked me when that marriage ended, why it ended, I would have absolutely said infidelity. But over the course of the last nine years, I've had the opportunity to learn so much more about myself and how asleep I was in that relationship and how asleep he probably was as well. And I can certainly look back on it now and say, yeah, like that might've been the catalyst that ended it, but it's certainly not really what was going on. What was really happening was this lack of awareness of ourselves and what we were wanting out of the relationship and what both of us really were bringing to the table. And was that compatible? And did we even want the same things? And, you know, I often joke now with E, my husband, that, you know, it's really funny because if I say that that marriage ended because of infidelity, but then here I am exploring a non-monogamous relationship with him, you know, it's like, did my first marriage didn't even need to end, you know? And it's like, yes, for lots of other reasons, you know, had nothing to do with that. Um, And then Christy, the way you were talking about, you know, just the opportunity that we have to reflect and, and kind of continually wake up over and over again in our relationships. The last few weeks, E and I have had some episodes on my show talking about each of our own experiences so far in 2022 and some of the inquiries we're making into our own dynamic and like okay, what's alive for us today? We know we started down this road a few years ago of exploring these different elements of non-monogamy. And for us, it was cuckolding, but 
is that still alive? Like, is that still where we want to be? And what do we want to change? And I think we often start our relationships with these, these agreements or that we think are agreements. And Christy, I know you've talked about this quite a bit too, with like explicit versus implicit agreements. And, and we start our relationships just assuming a lot of things, and then we don't revisit them later. And I think that gets us into a lot of trouble, misperception, you know, things like that. And, and you guys talk about that quite a bit on the show, but I love this, the way that you talk about implicit and explicit agreements. Um, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I think one of the things that you have to continually do is to really see your relationship as a living organism, right? So it hasn't arrived and it won't always be the same. It's living, it's growing, it's breathing. And when you forget about that, that's when you start to fall back asleep. So Mm -hmm. I can say from our own experiences, like, oh, wow, you know, we got our, we got a handle on this. Let's go back to sleep. Oh, we kind of got over that hump that was really difficult and Mm -hmm. painful. Okay. (laughs) Right. Like, let's go back (laughs) to sleep. And so this idea that, that we can't treat it as though we've arrived anywhere. Mm -hmm. That's when the relationship starts to depreciate. And I think that's, for me, been really difficult because in a lot of ways, I really want that security. Mm-hmm. I want to know it's going to be here and it's not going to shift or change on me, right? Like, oh, but that is uh, faulty thinking, right? It mm-hmm. doesn't allow either one of us to grow and to change and expand. And so if I really care and love about you and myself, I allow for that uh, exchange of growth. Mm. Um, And so if I look at it as though it's a continuation of growth, that really helps me. And this idea of implicit and explicit, you know, agreements, you know, implicit is anything that we didn't talk about that we just assumed. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I assumed a lot of things and so did Rainier. And so on this new stage of life, we have to really be um, explicit, meaning we say what we want and what we mm-hmm. need. The mm-hmm. beautiful thing about it, those things as well is that um, they're always changing yeah. too. So just because, like you were saying, just because we started it this way doesn't mean we end it this way. We check in and we say, is this working? Yeah. Um, yeah. I had a really good friend who um, his partner um, came to him and she said, it's always been my dream to move, um, to Northern Wales. And he said, uh, that sounds horrible. I don't want to move to Northern Wales. And so they get into this real tussle about it. And she digs her feet firmly in the ground about moving to Wales. And he digs his feet firmly into the ground about moving to Wales. And the funny thing is that they were really willing to part company, this long-term partnership mm-hmm. over this thing that neither of them had ever experienced. Her staking her claim to uh, this is something I absolutely have to do and him staking his claim, this is absolutely something I can't do. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of our uh, relating are kind of based on those kind of hypothetical, very theoretical ideas of who we are. So even when we talk about implicit and explicit agreements, I think one of the things to be really careful of is to not base those somehow on theory 
mm-hmm. but on our realities, right? Mm-hmm. I remember this one moment, this is totally embarrassing, but I remember this one moment <laughs> where it was like, I was absolutely sold on the idea of a, of a form of ethical non-monogamy, you know, uh, Oh, what, what it was like polyfidelity, you know, we're going to have a triadic relation. There was nothing else. There was no one else. There wasn't like any, any, but I was absolutely sold. This is what I was made for. This is what I would never tried it, <laughs> never done it before, mm-hmm. but somehow or another, this is what I was born into the world to do. <laughs> Guess what? Turns out several years later, quite a handful of experiences on, I'm not wondering that question anymore. Those aren't the questions I'm asking yeah. because that was driven by an ideology, yeah. not a reality. So I think with agreements, I think that's probably one of the most important things is to base your agreements off of realities, not theories. I love that so much. We often have a conversation in my relationship around fantasy versus reality. And how those things can differ so greatly and set you up for maybe tremendous success, maybe devastating failure. Like it could go either way. Are you willing to really roll the dice on that? Or are there some ways that we can find to safely dip our toes in the water without completely jumping off of the diving board into the deep end with no pool in it or with no water in it, you know? Um, because we've done that. <laughs> we've definitely done some of that, you know, really unsafe exploration. And and we've learned a lot and it's been tremendous for our growth. But there have been moments where it's taken us to the brink of, is did we go too far? You know, did we go too far in that exploration? And now how do you, you can't, can't put the rabbit back in the hat. You can't put the genie back in the bottle, but but maybe you can learn and maybe you can go back and, and kind of retrace your steps a little bit if, if you're willing to give each other enough grace. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that we talk about with ourselves and also with people that um, couples that we work with is this idea of like curiosity, fantasy, and then exploration. So these like three different levels of um, where are we in this? Mm. Is it a curiosity that you have? Is it a fantasy that you uh, want to explore? And then the the actual, uh, is this something we want to engage in? And yeah. so it allows for creativity, right? That the idea of the exotic, I love how Esther Perel talks about mm-hmm. the exotic, right? Is about curiosity. It's not about the action. Mm-hmm. It's about like opening up your mind. Mm-hmm. And so that gives a lot of freedom, where um, it's not this ultimatum, I am this or else, even if you haven't tried it, it's a little wild how we kind of pigeonhole ourselves and maybe our partners, but like, let's start with these types of conversations. And, and I would say, you know, how I was raised, like even those types of questions, very threatening, right? That's my programming. Like, why are you asking these, why are you asking these questions about my curiosities? You know, like (laughs) I chose you, the one and only you, right? We get to these places where I don't even have containers for that. Um, And so that's a deficit, right? That's a deficit when you start there. Yeah. I think that when we were, you know, post, um, post-infidelity and when we were really trying to understand the dynamics of our relationship and then beginning to to piece together how we wanted a new relationship to look in our mm-hmm. life, um, I think one of the things that was really kind of humorous was that back and forth of, you know, what works for us and, and 
is this going to work? And uh, I'm thinking of this one particular moment where we're really working hard to try and expand and take into account that people have real, um, you know, attractions to other people. Turns out, turns out I'm not the last male in the world like christy may in (laughs) fact be attracted to other people christy is not the only woman in the world contrary to the song when a man loves a woman he only has (laughs) eyes for her right like turns out there's other people and so we're having this really interesting conversation where we're trying to expand our horizons and you know we talk about um can we express attraction and christy (laughs) looks at me and she says well, I think we could do that, but like, why would we even want to? Like, what possible good would it lead to, you know, to say that that person is attractive? Like, why in the world? And Christy's laughing, you know, hysterically right now. But I think it just shows, right, that that when your programming is so high and Ugh. when, of course, you know, you have these years and years and years of all these voices, that it's like you just keep hitting the dead end of of what's been told to you as possible. Totally. And you really have to risk um, so much to, I think, overcome those walls um, and to see what's possible out there. Absolutely. I still, yeah. I feel so embarrassed with that story. I feel so mortified. <laughs> Did you know where I was going with it? <laughs> I had no idea where you were going, but I'm like, oh, dear God, it could be so many different things. Well, I can, I'll embarrass myself just to make you feel better too, Christy, because Thank you so much. when, when my husband approached me about this idea of opening up our, our relationship one way, right. And it's only me that's, you know, potentially out there, you know, looking to explore with other people. I was so steadfast and like the timeline of this is probably like, let's just say January of 2019 is the first time this conversation comes up. Right. And I'm adamant that I could never, 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 never like monogamy is the only thing for me. I'm a serial monogamist at heart, like all of these things. And then like literally within 45 days, I think I had had my first experience like, you know, and talk about jumping off of a diving board into a pool with no water. We had no tools. We had no Mm -hmm. ability to comprehend and to really find a way to to really talk about that and express all of our own anxieties and the things that could go wrong. Like we didn't spend near enough time in curiosity and fantasy before we jumped into exploration and we got our asses handed to us. (laughs) Yeah. I think like having the scaffolding is so important for any type of exploration. And sometimes it does come with uh, that risk taking, but like Mm -hmm. some of the things that we really have to kind of sink into is like the way that we communicate to one another, the way we regulate our emotions, the way we um, talk about our commitment to one another. And I think that we have this idea that first we're radically committed to one another. That's like our first kind of step in how and who we show up. Mm -hmm. Um, And that radical commitment goes beyond just each other. Like we're radically committed to the happiness of the other person um, and to, and to that length. And then the second one is like um, radical acceptance of ourselves. Like we're really asking each other to bring our full self to the table and stop cutting off parts of yourself. And I think that we found that we got in trouble in relating to one another when we cut pieces off of who we were. Um, 
And then the last one that we try to live by is our radical authenticity, bringing that self into relationship and showing up and showing the other person that. Mm. Um, So that has been what we have really tried to navigate our relationship by. um, And, you know, we're working on it. (laughs) It's always a work in progress. I think it's created, I, I like that word that, that you used, Christy. I think it's it's really created a scaffolding by which we can do the work in our relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, talking about that jumping into the empty pool, you know, we know so many couples who are navigating the intricacies of modern love. And I think modern love is, is such a fascinating landscape, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, a, a traditional relationship um, of the 1950s, is no more like nobody's defining their relationships how they did in the 1950s i think even the most conservative couples really are not i mean the fact the the idea that a person could even be married multiple times or have multiple large significant relationships i mean earlier you actually just said i defined myself as a serial monogamist hey in the 1970s if you would have said that you actually would have been looked down upon The idea of serial monogamy, which we take as like a very conservative form today, you only loved one person for your whole life. Well, obviously, everything has changed, whether it's how you look at, you know, um, fidelity, monogamy, multiple partnerships, everything is in flux. So when you have people who are approaching these different things in all of these plurality of ways, they're doing so often with Without that scaffolding, without that structure of being able to work on the container that is us. And so this has given us a great deal of, uh, of freedom to be able to engage one another that honestly, I just didn't think was possible. I didn't think it was possible to be in connection with another human being in a completely authentic way. Not only did I think that was pie in the sky pipe dreams, I almost thought it was unhealthy. I remember as a psychotherapist saying to a client, hey, I think, you know, if you're 80%, if you can find a person you can be 80% honest with in life, that's about as good as it gets. That was my clinical professional (laughs) voice. They've probably told 300 people that since then, like that came from the experts. This is ridiculous. That was based upon my own inadequacy of what love could be. I didn't know. Today, where we stand is this this deep self-acceptance that is fueling um, this ability to show up with our thoughts, our feelings, and our experiences as close to the present moment as possible in relationship to each other. We keep our accounts real small, and that is so powerful for us. Yeah. I love the way you talked about that. And I'm thinking too about, you know, the work that you two are doing right now. I, and I will let you describe it, but I know that you've had programs Rainier where you work with men. I think Christy, you've worked a lot with couples. Maybe you work with them together as well. And I am, I'm, dedicating the month of April on my show to the conversation around sexual health and sexual wellness that often also dovetails well within our mental health and mental wellness. And I know it's also STI Awareness Month. So there's just so much, you know, in this month where I'm I'm really having some really interesting conversations with practitioners along the spectrum of sexual wellness and healthy relationships and that sort of thing. So I'd love for you guys to talk a little bit about the work that you do 
together and separate, you know, within this space, because I know it's a big part of what you do. Well, I would say there's no other hot button that you can push that wouldn't be sexually related, right? Yeah. Couples who have been together for such a long period of time barely can handle talking about SEX. I mean, it's, it's like wild. It's like, we have intimate time. We have, you know, like we've heard it all, like the, all the things we can't say to talk about the thing we want to say. Right. And it's such a relief, but that is honestly how we experience it. It's like when we get intimate, wink, we're like, Oh, what's that mean? Let's talk about what that means to you. Um, I had the privilege of teaching graduate school for, um, counseling students and taught, um, the section on sexuality. And I will tell you, there's no other class that hits those hot buttons like that one. People can barely stay in their seats. And my whole job in teaching that class was you will learn how to talk about sex in any and every capacity. That is your one job. I don't care whether you agree, don't agree, have thoughts about it. Your job is to sit open and willing and available. So I think that's part of what we bring into our conversations with couples mm-hmm. um, around sexuality and sex. Um, and that's been really good for me and growing for me. You know, I we've talked a little bit about our programming. Like, I think I have really desired that openness because that was such a cutoff part of, of who I was mm-hmm. um, growing up. So when people do the wink and the our intimate time, we talk about let's let's get explicit. Um, yeah, and let's unpack that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's so interesting. Both Christy and I have come from um, the psychotherapeutic world. I was in that for a number of years, and one of the things that that always kind of plagued me. First of all, clients didn't talk about sex. That was one thing I thought was real interesting is that, you know, it was it was the stumbling block in their life. It was the backstop of their relationships. But God, they would not talk about it. But here's the other funny thing. Therapists wouldn't either. Mm-hmm. It, it was like the advice that therapists were giving out to their clients. Then I was going into the break room and I was hearing about all the shitty smutty backhanded crap that was going on in therapists lives. And I was like. Well, what the hell? We're handing out the most placid, limp um, advice for people. Mm-hmm. Of course, they're not talking to, to us about this stuff. Like, of course, our lives are an absolute wreck, too. Mm-hmm. And certainly mine was, you know. And I, I think that that my appreciation for what Christy's talking about is, you know, whether we're training counselors how to talk about it in comfortable ways where they can say more than just spelling it out. Or whether we're talking about that with our clients, whatever it is, you know, all of us were born out of at least one orgasm, hopefully two. <laughs> We've got to begin to talk about this. We've got to begin to become explicit in the realities that we're dealing with because people are dying on the vine because of right. sex, right? And so a lot of what we do, and, you know, uh, we both do individual things. Christy actually focuses on on therapy and counseling. She works with, you know, I think... Um, probably couples who are often in crisis, uh, mm-hmm. definitely individuals who are experiencing that, whose ship has kind of been capsized. It's, it's overturned, you know, mm-hmm. God, are, are they sinking together though? We, we work, we mentor couples who their ship isn't capsized. They're, 
they're just looking to steer a new direction in life. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we do together. We give the, the principles that underlay and undergird so much of our relationship and come alongside as mentors and companions for couples in a multi-month process where we're laying out, we're teaching, and we're getting in the trenches with them. And that's very different than counseling. But, um, but it's this beautiful process that we've just seen people really, really flourish under. You know, even when they've come in with real difficulties and being able to talk to each other about these intimate places or what. But it is amazing how the turnaround begins to happen and they start to achieve their goals, which almost always is, hey, we want to be happy together. Like we yeah. actually got together for a reason and it wasn't to be miserable. <laughs> right. But a lot of people, God, they've got the, the right relationship, but they're miserable at it. Yeah. And so we want to bring something that looks like happiness, something that looks like joy, something that looks like play and delight um, to those relationships. And that's something we really, really enjoy doing. Yeah, I think that one of those main aspects is honesty. And I think that's where we hope to, right, help them navigate their their love story together is by being really honest about who they are. If we're talking about mm -hmm. sexuality right now. It's like who they are in the world, or maybe they don't know who they are in the world sexually. Mm -hmm. And again, going back to this idea of waking up, a lot of times uh, we encounter couples who like their sexual um, desire is, has been snuffed out, um, maybe trauma or something has caught up with them mm -hmm. and um, the inability to reconnect with that. So it's really helpful for them to like really be honest about the deficits mm -hmm. and, and what they want and just share that with their partner. Um, it goes back to, let's just start with curiosity. So it's not overwhelmingly um, overwhelming, I guess. You know, I, I think one of the things that, that as you both were talking, it, it occurred to me, you know, men and women kind of, at least in our approach, they sometimes have a different kind of relationship to their sexual needs when they're starting to be honest, in my experience. And while this is a stereotype, I often find the stereotype plays out. One of the things that is so often apparent is that, that many of the men who come to me feel very, very suppressed in their experiences in life. They've tried to hide, you know, their relationship to sex and sexuality ever since they were a kid, right? They've, mm -hmm. they've buried, they've, they've cut away, they've, they've tried to stuff those parts down. And then when they've inevitably been caught, they've been told to go to the pastor, go to the counselor, go to whoever and figure it out, which is another kind of suppression. Right. So there's been a, a long suppression program for many of the men who I see, many of the individuals we see in relationship where they have they have suppressed their relationship mm -hmm. to sexuality. A lot of the women who come to us or, or individually say, you know, what sexuality? <laughs> uh, I don't have a relationship to sex. I, I mm -hmm. don't think about it. It's never been a thing. You know, I, I know about it. I just I don't really have a sex drive or whatever that is. And that's really repression. So two kinds of relationship to stuffing all these things down. It's not that it doesn't exist. It's that it's been so elegantly stuffed underground that you don't even know that you have a connection to it. And so these yeah. two kinds of strategies for belonging, you know, are really existent in men and women and, and everything in between the suppression and repression, right? 
these programs that we enact in life to avoid dealing with the substance of what is. And so, you know, one of the things we try and do is bring people into relationships so they're not cutting away those parts of themselves. Yeah. I think that's so amazing. And I, when, when we talked, you know, when we first met and we're talking about this concept of repression and suppression, that actually really stuck with me for a little while after we got off the call that day. Cause I'm thinking, you know, in my own life, I've really looked at it a lot, at least from my perspective in terms of coming, coming to terms with my own sexuality. And I've thought a lot about what we hear about in psychology is the Madonna whore complex and how women in their relationships, you know, often I need, need to identify much more with the Madonna and men want to believe that their women are more of the Madonna, but they also want them to be a freak in the sheets. And women have a hard time being both with the person that they're in partnership with because they don't want to be seen as dirty or bad. And so that really stuck with me um, because I think that's a lot around that kind of suppression of like, no, this part of me doesn't exist. I'm not going to exercise this part of myself. And and so I can I can certainly identify with the female bodied perspective of that equation. Um, but I do think that there is a lot too um, around the suppression part for men or repression. Yeah, I would say that concept of the slut or the whore, right, is so overwhelming in terms of cultural that it is almost you want to turn that part off as a female, turn that part mm -hmm. off, um, mm -hmm. that there is this simplicity of goodness. You know, I can remember going through through high school and there was definitely labels around those types of when you saw them, those types of activities or who's doing what. And it wasn't the guys that were being ostracized, right, around that. It was the girls. And so that was the last thing that you wanted to be labeled. I really appreciate mm -hmm. how women are taking back those terms and not making them um, shameful. I think that um, there's a lot of room to grow in that. But also this mm -hmm. idea that women are sexual. And so a lot of times when mm -hmm so sexual, right? Uh, but the idea that like when women and men come to us, it's often because those things, the lights haven't been turned on. It's there. And so when someone says, well, I'm not sexual, the first thing that goes through my mind is I'm not buying it, right? Mm. I'm not buying it. Because I also think that was something for me, I would say that the lights were turned off because mm. there wasn't a safe space for me to explore that and step into yeah. it. So when people say that, I said, Oh, you just haven't had the lights turned on. And so let's mm -hmm. try to figure out what that is. Honestly, openly with this person that you are committed to. And boy, um, they want to try to make that work too. You know, the partners. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Of course they do. Yeah. The the lights coming on is a good analogy to it, too. I'm, I'm thinking back to a book. I don't know if you guys have read uh, Come As You Are by, I think it's by Emily Nagowski. And, you know, kind of just figuring out, you know, how turn on works for different bodied people and and all of that. And, and how how do we get those parts of ourselves moving and in turn on and the lights on and everything, you know, kind of working together. And that exploration with couples has got to be really interesting. Well, I think that, that that oftentimes, you know, it's this phenomenon of opposites attract, right? And so you inevitably have a person who probably is very much, you know, 
in their mind. There's someone who thinks a lot. They're calculated. They're, maybe they even love to fantasize about things. They, they adore that mind-based process. And then you have another yeah. person who's perhaps far more embodied. They're like far more like connected to their own sensuality of their of their five senses. And so you bring these two people together. Oh, my God, it's a mismatch. How tragic. <laughs> and yet not. You really need to meet each other there because the, the reality is every individual human actually has so much possibility, so much mm. potential. But we cut ourselves off from it. We become specialists. Right. And so the person who is very embodied. Well, that's wonderful. And they have a mind. Let's begin to mm -hmm. use it. Let's begin mm -hmm. to cultivate it. Let's begin to develop in a safe confine that that fantastical um, and most erogenous of all zones, the mind. And then mm -hmm. the person who's very brainy or very in their mind or only in their head, that's wonderful. Oh, my God. Rich fantasy life. Yes. And drop you into your body. Add the touch, add the feelings, add the sensations. Oh my God, there's a limitless land to explore down there below the neck. Amazing. <laughs> and so, and so I think, you know, you can really begin to unlock the potential. I, I think so much of, you know, our work being around at times infidelity, just because of our own history, you know, we often seek out in others, these new worlds to conquer, these new worlds to explore. Um, there's such um, a diminished opportunity there because the person right next to you has limitless worlds to explore if you both mm -hmm. simply opened up to the possibilities of life. That's so beautiful. And I think that the way you are helping couples navigate that is, is tremendous because none of us come into relationship and have anybody helping us be torchbearers or way markers along the way. And it feels like the work that you guys are doing with couples is really kind of providing that for them and helping them, you know, because of the journey that you've been on and you've, you've gone through together and, and all of that, you, you are able to, to kind of bear that torch for people as they're seeking out connection or reconnection or even just getting radically honest with themselves about who they are and what they're looking for. And so I find that to be, you know, it's, it's too bad that that's not something we're gifted as we decide to step into relationship with each other. I know, you know, I grew up in this very conservative community too, and we had, had to go through like, you know, marriage, not counseling, but like, you know, some sort of coaching with like a pastor before we were allowed to get married. And it's like this, what you guys are doing, like, that's what people should be having the opportunity to, to step into when they decide to get into a committed relationship with each other rather than these, you know, kind of little silly, <laughs> silly sessions that, you know, you have to do with your pastor to get married back, back in the community where I grew up. You know, what's amazing is things that are set in motion when you start relationship, they follow you all the way. And so, mm. yeah, there's things that are set in motion when I'm a kid, obviously, but how we yeah. start together, we set this thing in motion and think, dang, how did we get here? You know, we're, we work with couples who maybe met when they were 18 or 19 and are trying to use those same rules 20, mm -hmm. 30 years down the way and thinking, why isn't this working? And, yeah. um, so some of those wounds or some of those expectations started when they were kids and saying like, Oh, um, right. Like how the heck did we get here? This is just what we thought was, um, one of the funny things that 
when we were dating, Rainier thought I was a very noisy kisser. Oh, right. So noisy. So noisy. It's like, <laughs> it was like, oh, you're so noisy. And I'm like, but isn't it supposed to be? I'm like, I can't imagine just like a silent kiss. I mean, like, what? So, I mean, just like working through just honest conversations, like, oh, mine was like, is sex is messy? Is it this messy? And he was like, yeah. I'm like, really? Oh, this has not been my experience. It was just like having these honest conversations of expectations that we thought that maybe we saw somewhere or past relationships looked a different way. And um, we just don't talk like that. So we really want to give couples permission to say, you can change the rules from this relationship you started when you were 18. How was that? Man, geez, that must have been, you know, maybe hot and heavy, but maybe not really honest. Um, And so really trying to, I think, start from the ground up. Like you get to create it. What do you want? What are all the possibilities? Yeah. When Christy and I were headed towards, um, I think think we were going to get married. And... um, I think I had proposed to her, perhaps. Um, but I asked her a question that I love, that I had no clue what it meant. I really didn't. But today, it's a question that I value so much more than I did possibly then. I said, what do you need to feel more married than we are? Like, what do you need? And I think that's such a really wonderful, beautiful, generous question. I think that... that it invokes this kind of idea that that whether it's marriage or a relationship, a relationship between two people or 10 people, that we need to be asking those kinds of questions, right? Mm-hmm. What is it that a relationship looks like? What is it that that you need out of a relationship that's committed and connected? What What kind of experiences do you have? What kind of feeling states would you be in? Um, what are the vows that we need to make to one another to make this work? Now that changes over time. So you keep asking that question over time. It's never a one size fits all forever kind of thing. In fact, I recently was sharing uh, online with this idea that I think every relationship should start with the disclaimer, this ends. At some point, this is going to end. Like by death or divorce, one way or the other, every relationship ends. Could we just perhaps put that disclaimer on relationships and then start our evaluation process? Not with saying, you know, a relationship is a success if it makes it 75 years, but rather a relationship is a success numbered by the number of belly laughs or arguments where we both walked away feeling heard, or deep and committed and connected cuddles, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, wouldn't that be a better set of numerical evaluations to have? I think so, at least. Yeah. I completely agree with that. And I remember that that post that you put out, because I... I think I put it on my stories and about 20 minutes later, I got a text from my husband saying, are you trying to tell me something? (laughs) Oh God. I was like, I will never speak to you and go through Instagram. I swear. (laughs) At least he was checking in, right? He was checking in, checking the facts, right? To see what was really going on. Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah. Definitely wanting to stay in touch and stay in tune. (laughs) That's one of the wonderful things about being in relationship to Rainier is, um, having honest and reality-based conversations. Um, You know, it's taken us a long time to get there for both of us. 
um, in terms of hiddenness. And again, on my end, uh, I can speak to, to my behavior is avoidance. Like if it's mm. not nice, if it's not pleasing here, right. If it's going to hurt my feelings, could you, could you not? Right. <laughs> um, and making myself sound like a softy, but the idea is that stepping into reality is so much more beautiful than having an illusion of a relationship. And a lot of times couples will be like, this is so hard. How, when is this going to kind of click into place? And I said, oh, but when it does, you'll never want to go back. Mm-hmm. And that's how I really feel about our relationship and the hope for future relationships for those that we work with is that the reality is so much more beautiful than the fantasy about what we put on one another or what we hope for. Oh, I really hope this happens versus accepting the person you're in relationship with. Um, yeah. So that idea like relationships end in two ways, right? Or all, they always end. It's like, really? That's that's kind of harsh, right? That's kind of harsh. <laughs> My, our kids are like, mom, you're, you have such a soft heart, you know, they're, they are way more into reality than I am, which kind of was like, oh, you're so right. But this idea <laughs> that it is so much more beautiful because you're stepping into the real. And, and that's what I hope for others and continue to hope to step in for our relationship as well. Mm. That's so beautiful. And it's a great place to end, even though I could totally keep talking to you guys forever. We will have to have a part two where we talk about, you just mentioned children and I know I've got mine and I'd love to, you know, kind of dive into some of this conversation around, you know, parenting in, in an, an open and, and sex positive environment. We started talking about the little a little bit before we started recording. And I think there's some stuff to scratch the surface on there too. But thank you guys so much for showing up, for being here, for being willing to share more of yourselves outside of your own show even. Um, I just really, really appreciate the time and the conversation. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much for hosting us. I know, time time passed way too fast on that. So we will have to have this again. (laughs) I would love that, I would love that. 